William Powell with Jessica. And Mickey. So actually, I saw some stuff. I've been watching a lot of stuff. I don't do anything else besides watch stuff. So, you know. Uh, so the TV, the stuff on the television um, that I've been watching. So obviously, Stranger Things. Have we have we watched it? Have you watched it? I have not. I have not. What? I know. It's, it's like, you know, it's funny because it's the, it's the one season I'd probably be the most excited for. Yeah, given who the villain is. all you, dude. I don't understand how you haven't watched it. I'm actually aghast. Because I'm Stranger Things out, like there, I'm just so. But I will watch it. I'm just like I can't believe it. Have you ruined parts of it? Like uh, I don't understand. You must have seen all the things. No, I just I know. I'm just I just I got tired of Stranger Things and and um, it's been like I don't know how many years now. Two years. I don't. I, know, I don't recognize been... time anymore because of the pandemic. Could have been longer, but I do. I do want to see Robert England in his. You know, this is yeah. the. You know, yeah, I want to see that. I just haven't. I haven't mustered up the energy to be like, all right, I'm going to sit through Stranger Things and watch these kids do, you know, I just, I got really frustrated. I liked the third season, but I got really frustrated with it. I was like, I don't even remember what happened. I think I blocked it out of my mind because I was some just lazy like, ass uh, writing is what happened. Yeah. I didn't, I remember being like, this is not good. This season is awesome. And it is very, it's very eighties, obviously. Uh, that's when it takes place. But um, first watching it, I was like, this is just Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't understand. And then it kind of goes into actual Stranger Things. But it does have that 80s horror, nightmarish feel. I loved it. I, I really did. I couldn't help it. I love this season a lot. I feel like I don't remember anything previous to the season. And it's fine with me that I don't think I'll ever rewatch season three or two. Probably season one, but like this one comparable to me is like watching season one again. Okay. You know? All right. I really liked it. That's a good um, endorsement. So Obi-Wan Kenobi, I started. <laughs> uh, I did not like it until the last episode. Or I feel like it was very muted, maybe, um, considering until some of the last episodes. I don't know. Maybe I'm just poo-pooing. I really kind of like everything that else that Disney has done. Um recently mm -hmm. but i don't know it, it hasn't convinced me yet but i i also love star wars but i wouldn't call myself like um a star wars nerd i know a lot about it obviously through through time mm -hmm. um but i don't know I, I, some people are like i love it like putting it on a pedestal i Owen mcgregor yeah he's a great actor for some reason he's just like so absurd as this role continually and maybe it's the way he talks and speaks um little leia is adorable i don't i don't know if i thought there would be children in it <laughs> you know oh, no. i didn't think it would be like a child and old guy fun story i kind of thought it would be much different um but that's kind of how it's going there's a story Yuck. with young princess leia yeah i don't know i don't know how i feel about it yet i'm i don't know i'll give it the benefit of the doubt but we'll just say that and then I watched that Sex Pistols show with Danny Boyle did on Hulu. I think it's just mm -hmm. called Pistols. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's way better than I thought because, you know, I you hear a lot. And I think especially our type of musical influence, there's a lot of like too coolness. A lot of people would be like, oh, I know everything there is to know about punks and punks wouldn't act like that or they wouldn't do this. And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Um, but it's actually pretty cool. <laughs> And I obviously am uh, the only word you should listen to, but I know. It, is, it is actually based off of a Steve Jones book from, uh, you know, obviously a member of the Sex Pistols. Um, and it's very much centered around Kip Chrissy Hind, which is the singer and, you know, um, front person of the Pretenders. I love the Pretenders. I had no idea that she was so involved mm -hmm. or was even friends with the Sex Pistols. So this was all new to me, which I thought was really fucking cool. Um, but it's exactly what you think it is. It's the story of the Sex Pistols. Um, do most of us know it already? Yeah. I I thought it was fun. I thought it was super fucking fun. I, I, I love, I mean, look here, growing up, I was, you know, Ramones will always be my favorite band, but the Sex Pistols were like a huge, huge, huge part of my like childhood listening and everything. And, and um, you know, and, and yes, Chrissy Hine did, she worked for a, a fucking Malcolm McLaren's wife at the, yeah. the, the work, she worked at the store. But, um, I, my, my, the, the, anything Sex Pistols right now is like leaves a oh bad God, taste in my mouth. Paul Vivian Westwood, his wife? 
I know. I was like fumbling. I don't you, you, I got the camera on, so you like, could see when? me. <laughs> I was like, is it Vivian Westwood? Or am I just making that up in my head? So I just went with Mock McLaren's wife. But yes, Vivian Westwood. But um, uh, recent shit with Johnny Rotten has really like put left oh a bad God, taste in my mouth. Such a piece of shit. Like what? He really is. And I used to love him. Like I used to. I mean, I was a huge like Johnny Rotten and Public Image Limited, all this stuff. And now it's like. The past, like I said, 20, 20 uh, the past, the past four years has really soured me on Johnny Rotten, Morrissey. You know, it's like, I still, yeah. I can, it's like, I listen to, when I listen to Sex Pistols now, it's because I'm like, well, there's three other guys in the band, you know, where, and same thing with the Smiths, where I'm like, well, Johnny Mars on guitar, he's a cool guy, you know, but, but holy shit, you know, so it's like, it's, I, I just, it, I feel like Johnny Rotten kind of sabotaged any hope for that being a really enjoyable watch because i'm like all i'm gonna think about is like you piece of shit um you fucking create and, and who would have thought you know like seriously who would have thought like 20 years ago if you were like oh yeah johnny rotten's gonna be he's gonna fall this, he's gonna yeah yeah mm -mm. i would have been him. like i'm like fuck you man punk rules you'll never know like oh <laughs> fuck off and now i'm like oh i feel like you know there goes my childhood but um I have not watched it yet. I've seen the billboards for it though, and I'm like, oh, it's got, and I, what's her fucking face from Game of Thrones? <laughs> I'm so out of it these days that I couldn't even tell. I, I, yeah, Vivian Westwood and what's her fucking face from Game of Thrones? Oh yeah, I was like, who are you talking about? I forgot because she's she's honestly very good in it, but she plays such a character that it's hard to see her. Um, Macy is it Macy yes. Williams? Um, yes, yes, that's her name. Aria, young Aria. Um. She has glorious boobs in this in this oh. series, um, but she has glorious boobs anyway. But I, honestly, I I really ended up liking it. It does get hokey at times, but I think the whole thing is hokey, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's fun. It's watchable. It's Danny Boyle, um, and so that's the that's the stuff on the television, the boob tube that I've been watching. And then I. Every so often I get back into Mubi, which is really great. It's one of my favorite apps. It's it's curated um, movies, short stuff. And so, you know, we're festival season. So there's lots of random stuff that I've been watching. And so I watched um, one of Jim Henson's shorts. There's a bunch of them on Mubi right now. And so this is really cool. It's from 1965. It was called Timepiece. I had never seen, I think, most non-Muppet things besides them using puppets. Yeah. Um, obviously the Muppets is his most famous venture, but this was really cool. Um, it was like his take of relationships or man through time. It was, it was very fun. Um, and then I watched the short called the bones, um, which is, I, I might've talked about a long time ago, but it's this um, Cristobal Leon and Joaquin Costinha. They did um, this stop motion film called the wolf house, which is very beautiful. This was a short, um, I believe it's kind of about I, the Chilean history and uh, there's like these two figureheads that take place in this very sad and, and eerie and creepy short that they've done. And it's very beautiful and, and very cool. And the time and the detail that they've spent on it, it's just like very poetic. So I really loved it. Um, also on movie, I watched this movie called Great Freedom. Uh Sebastian Nisi, I'm butchering his name. I'm, I'm sorry. It's an Austrian film about two um, or about one gay man um, post-war Germany. So um, it's kind of making a point to the effect of um, gay men, queer men um, and women were imprisoned even right out of concentration camps. So this was still a crime back then. And it's about his story and especially about platonic and same-sex love and, uh, and relationships in this like horrific deal where this man is wrongly imprisoned just for being who he is and mm. then his um friendship that he makes within this jail so it's it's actually quite beautiful and i cried like a fucking baby at the end and then um i saw everything everywhere all at once by the daniels dan kwan and daniel shine my favorite movie of the year okay that's what everyone's saying i liked it I cried at the end, but I'm also a baby, and I cry mm -hmm. at everything. But as mm -hmm. favorite movie of the year, I'm I'm not quite there. I mm -hmm. thought it was really cool. It's inventive. It's the same story, though. It's like a lot of stories, especially, are taking place around this multiverse. But there's always been this story of, like, the Alpha and Omega. There's, mm -hmm. like, always going to be these characters that, like, if you were filled with every multiple 
um, verse version of yourself, you become a God essentially. And so I like their take on it because it is very sweet and it made me cry like a baby. Cause you know, everyone, <laughs> everyone has a weird relationship with their mom. And so sure. I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was like a very kind of, um, comforting and sweet and sad take on on that theory and so i thought it was cool but i don't know about the best movie of the year yet but we'll see i think i think think what one i mean because i I cried as well um but i'm also a fucking baby (laughs) but none of that was what made me think it was my favorite movie of the year (laughs) i think it was my favorite movie of the year and i'm not really spoiling anything but there is an alternate reality or there's a, a parallel reality where everybody has hot dog fingers and, oh my god, that that honestly killed me. The and whole, I the, think the moment that happened, I went, "This is my favorite movie of the year" because it was just so fucking. It was, hey, let's throw this re- completely ridiculous, absurd idea out there, and then let's just keep, let's just let's commit to it a hundred percent. And I was like, I'm totally into this. Um, I did laugh pretty hard at the whole the butt plug scenes. Yes. Like at the beginning, I was like, is this foreshadowing? And then that whole scene, it really made me laugh. It, it was pretty funny and it's light, you know, but it is it is pretty heartfelt. And then, of yeah. course, I saw Crimes of the Future, the new Cronenberg mm. movie. Now, I don't, don't spoil it, I don't know. I, I'll try not to spoil it. I do, I'll just say because you haven't seen it yet, but yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. I go between being like, it's fucking brilliant. It's magnificent to being like, it's okay. It's all right. Mm -hmm. I I still don't know. It does end abruptly. Um, Mm. At least in my mind, it did. Um, It makes some good points. Um, As always, you're like, oh, clever Cronenberg. Um, But I don't know. I, again, I go in between. I'm like, wow, that was really great. Well, what a great fucking scene. What a great, point that he's making with the scene and then other things i'm like uh so i don't know it, it really depends on which mood you catch me in i guess but i want you to see it so we can talk about I, it. I want to see it it's like it's actually it's the top of my list in fairness how you felt about crimes of the future was how i initially felt about eastern promises where when i walked out of that i was like that was amazing and then later on the night i was like maybe it was just okay and then like <laughs> and then i was like and then the more i kind of like dived into it in my head i was like oh this movie is fucking amazing so um he it's not quite i feel like cronenberg is not where he's at where he was in the 70s and 80s where it's like you see something he did immediately you, you know you know your reaction you're like yep yeah uh, that's that's you know whatever whatever it is you know if you love videodrome if you hate videodrome you know you way how you feel about it right off the bat whereas lately with cronenberg i'm like i don't know yet you know and it's like i kind of like that though because it's it's I don't know. It, it gives you, it makes you think about it even harder, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I've thought about it, especially from someone who's had surgery. Um, so someone who's had surgery awake, it's like very hmm. strange too. And like, also I had a friend who had, you know, um, surgery as well. And so she watched it with me. And so it was just kind of a thought piece too, on things that have already um, mm-hmm. taken place. And then also evolution of human and then mm-hmm. forced evolution. It's just, it is a lot. It's a lot to think about. And now I need you to see it so you can think about it all the time, obsessively yeah. as well, and can't figure out if you like it or not. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. So, but those are, those are all the, the mishmash of shit that I've consumed. I am. Um... I, I know when we did wax work a month ago, I don't remember if, what if, what I talked about then. So um, if I repeat myself, I apologize. The only show that I actually watched like from start to finish is Kids in the New Kids in the Hall revival. Um, oh yeah, you I did lo- talk about yeah, that. Okay, did talk about it is, that. Okay. It's super fun. Okay, you watch it. So the, no, the, I didn't, but I know. Oh, oh you've got, <laughs> I like, you've got to watch no, it. No, 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 in general. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got to watch it. Um, the, there's a there's a sketch in there that like I'm looking for somebody who will go, yes, I totally understand. I totally agree with you. Cause there's one sketch. I'm like, I think it's the funniest fucking thing in the world. Like I was in hysterics laughing. I showed it to my wife and she's like, I mean, it's funny, but, and I'm like, I was like, I couldn't, I I hadn't laughed that hard since watching. I think you should leave the, uh, one of the, you know, there's an early episode in the second season where we've talked about it with the, have you seen, I think you should leave. Oh, of course. Okay, I so the, all the, time, which the, is Carl, the Carl the Carl Havoc the Carl Havoc scene where he's like, you know, he puts on all the 
the old person makeup and he goes the the oh yeah I, I, I think I that was one of the hardest times I ever had laughing in recent history. And this Kids in the Hall sketch, you know, was was up there. Um, movies, I've just been like, I, I recently rewatched. Um, so in the 60s, there was a film called Spirits of the Damned. And it was like Roger Vadim, Fellini, uh, Louis Mal, I think. I, I think a few directors, European directors, French and Italian who all took an Edgar Allan Poe story and adapted it. And mm-hmm. obviously the one that the only one that like people really still give a shit about is the Fellini one, which is called Toby Dammit. And it's got Terrence Stamp in it. He plays like an, uh, like an alcoholic young actor who like comes to Italy for like, I don't know, like some press thing. And then like, um, I don't know. It's, it's wild. It's awesome. I rewatched that, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of what else really have not been watching a lot of stuff because I've just been so busy. And then, um, you know, I did go to the movies. My, I, I did not want to see this movie at all. In fact, I actually openly said, I do not want to see this movie, but my wife was having, you know, she'd been, she'd been working really hard on this film that she's working on and, you know, it was her day off and she really wanted to go. And, you know, sometimes you just got to do something to make somebody else happy. So I went and saw Top Gun Maverick. Oh, and I've heard it. I heard it's great. No, it is. I fucking loved really? it. I was so mad that I was like, because I fucking hate. I really, I really hate Miles Teller, and he's a huge part of the movie. Oh yeah, I and forgot he's in that. And yeah, I didn't. But um, I was. I said, I said to my wife, I was like, I'm only gonna go if they play Danger Zone in the movie. And she's like, They do, and I'm. They will, and I'm like, All right. They play it in the first five minutes of the movie. So I was like, Okay, well, I could probably get up and leave. But I, I sat and watched it, and. It was awesome, and I was so like. I want to mad- see it now. I was like, I, I mean, I like Cruise though. I'm a Cruise. You too. I do. But, I do like Cruise yeah, too. Yeah, there was something really like I don't know something. But I tell me, see, but. let me ask you a question. And and here's the things. I when I say that when I ask you this question, I'm saying this as somebody who loves that movie. What's the plot of Top Gun? Uh, like what? What actually happens in Top I, Gun? Well, his friend met. Oh, he, I can't remember. Exactly. I remember Goose dying, and I remember that sex scene. You remember the sex scene? You remember Goose dying? You remember the scene where Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise are arguing in the I'm locker room? And that, well, that volleyball, but they're <laughs> arguing in the locker room, and Maverick says, you know, that's right, I am Dangerous Iceman, and, and you you see the camera on me, so you can see yeah. where, I, where Val Kilmer just goes, and he just, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that moment. I couldn't fucking tell you. Like, I think that there's something where they have to fight. They have, like, they have to fight, like, some unknown nation in a dogfight at the end. And hits and Maverick has to help Goose and, I mean, help, help Iceman because Goose is fucking dead. And, you know, he's not going to fly again after Goose dies because wah, wah, wah. Um, but um, that's the thing is that, like, the first Top Gun is, I love that movie, but it's so ridiculous for, you know, it's it's a time capsule. It's it's ridiculous in the 80s. It's its, its own thing. Top Gun Maverick is just as ridiculous, but for now, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it doesn't have the same type of ridiculousness as the, as the original one does, but it has what the appropriate amount of ridiculous for a movie coming out now. And I, I did not want to like it at all. I didn't want to like it. I didn't want to like Miles Teller at all, but I walked out being like, yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty fucking good. But I like that movie Whiplash, but I heard it's good. And I keep meaning to see it because I have nothing to do most days. And uh, a friend posted that he saw it in 4DX. And I was like, that is the most perfect movie to see in 4DX. And so in case you guys don't know, 4DX is like there's a ride essentially or your seats move. Mm-hmm. Um, while you're watching the movie in 3D, and so you know, it's I I've only seen the nun in 4DX, and it was fucking hilarious. It was the funniest goddamn thing. It made the movie enjoyable because that movie otherwise is trash. It is terrible, but um, it was really fun. And so I really want to see it in 4DX. I'm really hoping that. It's yeah, ridiculous. I mean, I, if you're gonna see if you're gonna see Top Gun Maverick, because I don't begrudge anybody who doesn't want to see it, because I was there. But you got to see it on a big screen. You got to see it with a big, nice stereo system because it's like it's it's half the enjoyment of that movie is like getting that feel of like, you know, they really kind of up the stakes from the original one as far as like how they shot this one, all the different stuff they do. I I really enjoyed it. I didn't want to. So take that for what it's worth. Like that somebody who was very who openly was like, fuck this. I don't need to go see this was like, yeah, it's fucking great. Um <laughs> 
but like, I just I'm also I'm, I am a little annoyed because there's other movies that I have wanted to see that I haven't that I've put off or I've overlooked or I've just not gone because like, you know, yeah, whatever. I mean, and then men is already gone in where I live. And so I'm like, fuck, now I got to wait for it to drop on fucking demand, v- whatever we v- call OD, it. Now. Yeah. Yeah. No, VOD. Um, and so I am pissed because I missed it and I love Alex Garland and, and so I've heard a lot about it and I'm trying yeah. not to listen to anything until I see it. Um, but yeah, there's some yeah. other stuff and I forget how it doesn't stay like in other places. Mm. Like I'm like, oh no, I'll just be able to go see that movie anywhere. And it's like, no, not here. I did. Uh, I went to the new Bev for the first time since January at a midnight screening of pieces, uh, which I, um, you know, I don't know if you ever saw it. it was, I think it was 80, 80 I think it was 82. Um, but it's this ridiculous Spanish film, Spanish horror film with American actors that was shot. It's supposed to take place in Boston. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't, you know, I watched, I rewatched it for my birthday last year, but I hadn't seen it prior to that. I hadn't seen it for 20 years. It's ridiculous. It's awesome. Um, I think it's on Shutter. You can go check it out. Um, but yeah, it's, it is what it is, but that was the first, that was the only other movie I actually like left my apartment and went to the theaters to see. Um, and mostly cause a friend of mine was like, Hey, you want to go see pieces at midnight on Saturday? And I was like, yeah, I can't think of anything else I'm going to do. So I might as well get out of the house and go. Um, so I went and saw that. And then I, um, well, then I obviously watched the, uh, the movie that we, uh, we, we talked about. We're gonna oh my talk god! About. I don't. So I, I think. Well, I feel like most people have to because this is a De Palma movie. And yeah. What movie is it? So this movie is Raising Kane, which <laughs> is his nineties. His nineties is weird. It's fucking weird. I've never seen this movie, but you know, really? there's yeah, I've never seen it before. And so there's there's a few things like sometimes I'll go on a De Palma kick, but like good De Palma, and um, I'm talking about you know Carrie and etc and um and dress to kill which is a masterpiece for me but this is like it's i i kind of like what was he on do you think okay i i have my theories um, yeah well give us a synopsis of, of okay the movie so and then we could talk about it because i i just i it's it's ridiculous it's the so most ridiculous is, movie i've ever seen the story goes like this and i'm gonna tr- it's weird because there's some things that i think are so blindingly obvious that i'm not really spoiling it but basically uh, John Lithgow plays a child uh, a child psychologist whose father was like the like the 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 guy like the child psychologist of the, of all of them you know he was like he was a uh, very famous doctor and anyway um, John Lithgow um, plays his son who is um, he's got a wife played by Lolita Davidovich and a little daughter played by I have no idea because I didn't look her up um, and. <laughs> And he's starting to act weird, like around his, you know, his kid, like his wife starts noticing that, like, he's like paying extra amount of attention to his daughter Um, in the very opening scene. He's talking about like how, you know, he's going to bring his daughter. He's telling a a, a family friend how he's going to bring the daughter back to his father's, um, you know, uh, hospital in in, in Europe. And they're going to they're going to do some tests on her and stuff like that. And they, they need control kids. And he's basically, long story short, he's been abducting children so he can he can bring them to his father to experiment. Um, it's a really hard movie to, uh, to summarize, I think. But while this is happening, his wife gets reconnects with a uh, an old former lover, former, former love. Yeah, a former lover. Um, first off, Lilita Davidovich's character plays a doctor. There's no way she should have a practicing license. She's a terrible doctor, and there's just <laughs> written all over her. But anyway, I know actually, yeah. Like as you were saying this, so the, it in the movie it goes through her that backstory a little bit of her like love affair with this patient, like of patient's wife, patient's of wife, patient's wife that she falls in love with while that woman is dying in the hospital. So they start this affair. Wow, like it's just so immoral. I was like, oh my yeah. god, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and what the thing about John Lithgow's character that's really important is that he was clearly abused and experimented on as a child. So 
he keeps having, you know, he keeps seeing his brother, his twin brother, who's also played by John Lithgow, who's named Kane. And then you start, we start diving into, and again, this is where I'm like, is this, is this a spoiler? I mean, I feel like this is so, it was obvious from the word go. Um, even the second time around watching it, I was like, oh, he's, he's got multiple personalities. His brother's one of his multiple, multiple personalities. So um, it's basically like baby snatching or kid snatching. Um, John Lithgow playing multiple characters, uh, which is which is a lot of fun, and then um, a lot like a, uh, his wife having an affair um, and having suffering no consequences for it, even though it kind of kind of triggers his it, it, it contributes to his John Lithgow's psychosis, and yet she's the good guy. I don't know. I I, I don't see anything. I I, I Davidovich's character in this movie is one of my biggest problems with it. But um, that is, in a nutshell, the plot is um, John Lithgow, multiple personalities, baby snatching, um, experiments, and um, it, yeah, that's yeah. a good synopsis. It's like. I don't know. I, it's it's really crazy. So it, it has that theory about multiple personality disorders, too. It's like the same type of theory that you see in, in many movies about um, what's that movie that M.I.H. Shyamalan did? Slide? Something? Split? Split, yeah. Uh, where like you can, if someone's aware of their multiple personalities, you become like a almost a god, similar to like absorbing um, multiple personalities in the multiverse. Um and so this is, it's really interesting because he's also like somewhat of a Houdini. Like even if he's caught, he's like constantly getting out because of his genius other personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is so psychotic and absurd. And and I think part of the fact is, and this goes in, you can find it on IMDb and, and any interviews with De Palma, but I guess he recut this movie and put, and uh, so the first half of the film was supposed to be Jenny's subplot. And mm-hmm. then instead of starting the film with, with Carter mm-hmm. um and so it's ridiculous it reads ridiculous it's like very it comes off very comical to me I kind it of I kind I of hated it to be honest um I found it a little too absurd and I think it's probably because of his editing now Palma De Palma does have some good movies in the 90s um I mean Mission Impossible Carlito's Way the first Mission Impossible yeah um, tight, tight. Carlito's and, Way yeah super tight this and, movie, and and but this movie in Snake are you gonna mention Snake Eyes because that movie is fuck, ridiculous. No, fucking Snake Eyes is awesome. <laughs> I remember seeing that in the movie theater, but it is it has more of a Snake Eyes feel in the terms of like the coloration of the movie. Like some there's like some sure. pieces, I don't know if it's a fish islands or what they're using, but that when he's going in and out of personalities or when he's talking to himself, there's like this weird camera angle that he uses. It's it's very silly to me in some points. And I think that's also probably John Lithgow's performance. While I think he's great. Uh, yeah. He's also like just too silly for me in it. I think for me to take him seriously, if this guy came to like chloroform me, I'd laugh. Well, it's just funny. Cause you mentioned a scene that I actually th- see watching it, the, the, rewatching it recently. Cause I've seen, you know, I'd seen it before uh, rewatching it. I was like, Oh my God, this is a fucking comedy. Like this is it, yeah. it like it can't be it, it can't if 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 he's not going for laughs in certain scenes, the chloroform scene being one of them where he like he chloroforms he's like riding in a car with a woman, he blows dust in her eye, she can't see anything, and then he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get you a tissue, and then he takes out the chloroform and he chloroforms her, right? And so the car's pulled over <laughs> and there's these two joggers two bro oh dudes that scene just fucking yeah. killed me and then like and, and he's worried about getting caught and then the next thing you know because she's knocked out her head hits the fucking her the the car the, you know the horn and she's just like the horn's just blasting and he's like he's freaking out because he's like everything's spiraling out of control that to me is got i mean that had to have been written to elicit a laugh because otherwise well anyway um i but again i still have my theories on De Palma. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think I feel the same about some other directors where I think he's a psycho is what I think because um, some stuff is so good. But it's also I don't know what his thing is with transvestites or multiple personality disorder, but he does writes about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but this film is interesting, too, because we'll maybe we'll talk about it later. But there is a fan cut that became an actual director's cut of this movie. But I watched, you know, the, the theater cut 
which Me is too. what you watched. And it's it's just so absurd because it starts off straight out of the bat. You're just kind of like, oh, th- this is going. The storyline's going right now. Which is not, which is funny because like I, I read about that too. And I was like, that's not my, my problem with those movie isn't the ed- the pacing or the editing. It's not. It's my problem is, is <laughs> it is like, I don't know how to put it, but it's like, there is, he's, he's, I think De Palma is very capable of freaking people out. Like, I think I, I, I remember I, I was watching when I was watching this and this will tie into what we were, you know, what you were just saying as well. I remember when I was watching this, all I could think about was that the first time I ever saw sisters with Margot Kidder. Yeah. And there's a, there's a scene earlier in that movie. There's like a, a kill scene in that movie that, that freaked me out. And the buildups that freaked me out. Like I remember being on the, and I was like, I saw it in my twenties and I was like, Oh my God, like, is this what's going to happen? You know, I was like, I was legit freaked out. And um, there's moments in a lot of his stuff where he he's fully capable. He knows how to fucking play it to like straight and make it and, and make it work. But I think he just he loves being absurd. He loves being ridiculous. Like, um, yeah, that's true. I mean, he's got to I, the fury. And I, I watched that when um, what's his face? Kirk Douglas died. Um, which I, I love had the fury years back. Yeah, it's great. But it's also absurd. In some points, but but it's weird because like there, you know, it's it's funny because like the thing I thought about raising Cain was if De Palma had made this in the seventies or the eighties, it would have been a completely different movie in the sense that he there's something about the way he was able to get away with absurdity. I mean, I look here. Let me put it this way: Body Double. It's a t- for me and De Palma. It's a toss up between Body Double and Phantom of the Paradise. I love both of them. Yeah, equally. But you know, Phantom of the Paradise is I'm a, I'm gonna. I'm going to allow to be absurd because that it is absurd. Whereas body double is like, when I show it to people, I'm like, look, you can't watch it straight on. You can't like, you can't expect it to be, it's, it is going to take these moments into ridiculousness and stylishness, but it works. It's, it's a De Palma movie through and through. Um, but blowout is actually very fucking, very suspenseful and very good. And oh, it's, yeah. it's, I forgot right. about that. Is that, and, and yeah. no, no, that was 80. That was 80. Oh. Um, that was, um, that was the last, well, no, I wasn't gonna say it was not, not the last great. Oh yeah, Travolta yeah. Film. Early eighties. Um, um, yeah. He's got such a weird resume of film, you know, right. like, and some of it is so bad. Like, some of it is so bad. Like, listen, um, the Black Dahlia murder or the Black Dahlia is one of the worst movies I've ever fucking seen. And that mm-hmm. movie is like, I still regret staying in the theater till the end. I hated it so much. Mm-hmm. But other movies are so good, and like. And, and less absurd, but, you know, 90s kind of gets a little cheesy anyway. And so I don't know. I well, still don't know how I feel about it. Like, the, but he doesn't do, like, Untouchables isn't absurd. Lots of, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'll Watching have to rewatch it. I'll have to rewatch it. It's been a long time, but I, I don't remember it, it being. It is absurd. so. I mean, it's funny because, like, I've, I I keep watching De Palma with different lenses, you yeah. know, and like, I remember like as a kid, I love the untouchables. And then when I was in film school, one of my classmates and I, who was a huge De Palma fan, he was like, you know, I've never seen the untouchables. Like, let's fucking watch it. It's great. And we watched the untouchables. And we were both like, what the fuck is this? Like, right? and I was like, and I was like, I loved this movie as a kid. And it's like, it is ridiculous. It's absurd. And then um, I've rewatched it after, you know, digesting even more De Palma and kind of going, okay, I can recognize a De Palma film without even knowing it's a De Palma film now. I rewatch The Untouchables and go, okay, I can see now I'm looking at it through a certain viewpoint and I actually enjoy it a little bit more. But what my theory was is that there's a lot of directors who will have a greatest hits piece. Um, David Lynch had one with Twin Peaks The Return where it's like a lot of different themes that he's been working on for years and playing with and then a lot of the same cast members that he's used or a lot of the same actors and a lot of the same composers and stuff like that. I think Raising Kane is De Palma's attempt at a greatest hits of his 70s and 80s movies. But it's, it's kind of it, makes sense because it is a mishmash of other ideas that he's already had that he's redoing. Sisters, Dressed to Kill. Yeah. Um, um, uh, I'm trying to think of what else because there was another movie. Um, oh well, Body Double, which is about voyeurism, and there's a very big part of voyeurism in uh in Raising Cain, specifically when he's watching his wife getting banged in the park by Stephen Bauer. And I look here, things <laughs> I love Stephen Bauer, but how am I supposed? But he's he's the dude just fucking shows up and 
wrecks their marriage without any again it's the lack of remorse from the two people that we're supposed to be rooting for where i'm like these fucking people are terrible they are terrible people and when i was talking about like the the palm i think what what really um oh oh you going back to what i was saying about the greatest hits thing you know was his 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 the palma loves these big set pieces uh one that i can think of an example is untouchables and which is a um yeah which was like, whoa, what movie? I can't remember what movie he was calling back to, like what old, you know, old film he was. But there's the scene in The Untouchables where, like, they're at the train station. Yeah, and the and, staircase. Yes, the, exactly, the staircase. And he does that in Raising Kane times 100, where he's like this whole set piece where <laughs> the little girl is falling. Oh, my God. The best, the best scene of the entire movie. Stephen Bauer is, is, is like, is running to catch her. The whole time, this car that they've been, or this truck that they've been setting up that has, like, a weird weather vane with a point sticking out, which, I don't know who the fuck would ever allow something like that, is dangerously fucking close to fucking, it's gonna, you're like, oh, Stephen Bauer is gonna totally fucking get stabbed. But no, a gunshot at the last moment shoots the tip off and everybody, it's just, like, so fucking it's, stupid the ending is so crazy i can't believe it happened i was like i watched it i watched that yeah the gun from the guy from the fucking creepy dad who's kidnapping kids and you know traumatized right. his own son um shoots a gun but he slips and that bullet somehow hits in that direct spot which knocks off that that piece which saves the guy and the girl i don't know i think it's funny i think I, I like that Stephen Bauer is in it. He's handsome. I get why yeah. De Palma Look, likes to cast him as like the sexy lover man. You know, well, he's also well, I mean, in Scarface. Like, he's in Scarface. He, oh, so I, I was gonna say he's like this is what I meant when I said the greatest hits too. So John yeah. Lithgow was in Obsession by De Palma. He was in Blowout mm. by De Palma. Stephen Bauer's in Scarface. He was also an assistant director on Body Double, which oh. is funny because at the time he was married to Melanie Griffith, which who was in Body Double. Greg Henry, who's one of the cops. Um, like kind of like the lead detective. He was in Scarface. He's a de- he's a huge part of Body Double. I guess he would later on be in Femme Fatale oh, and yeah, Black yeah, Dahlia. That's right. Yeah, he is. I forgot about that. Um, so it's like it's it's De Palma, and then the the score is Pino Dinaggio, who yeah. has done um he did a bunch of De Palma stuff. Carrie being one of the main ones. He also did um you know non De Palma stuff like Taurus Trap, which we've watched, and The Howling with by Joe Dante. I love Pino Dinaggio's music. Um, and I think it's perfect for this movie because I think one of, above all, De Palma loves melodrama, mm-hmm. and he lo- he loves every De Palma loves everything heightened. It can't you know he can't just he can't do something just if he had played Raising Kane straight, it would be a fucking terrifying movie because you've got the plot alone is fucking like oh my god like this guy's fucking kidnapping children. There's the scene where oh I, this is. This made me like I my whole body just t- quaked in like disgust. But there is a fucking scene where Lolita Davidovich has a voiceover where she complains about the 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 baby TV that they have set up and why couldn't it be a like a mo- like a regular baby monitor? And then she her voiceover it narrates her flashback of her affair or when she first met Stephen <laughs> and but and I, I was like, oh, I was like my whole, I was like, how do you, why do you fucking do that? But that being said, the scene where she's like, it's like New Year's Eve and the ball and, you know, Stephen Bauer is like super sad because all my wife's dying of cancer in the bed and I've been here every day. And Lydia, Lydia, uh, Midnight Strikes, Lydia Davidovich like leans over and kisses him and they start making out. And then he, and I actually think this is actually a truly creepy moment that I'm like, see, De Palma still got it when he wants to. In the, the glare of the TV, he sees his wife sit up and mm-hmm. see, like, as she's dying and see them making out. And then he stops and he pulls, you know, a little bit of it away and he turns around. And the, like, the look on the, the, like, the, the, the look that's on the wife's face as she's dead is horrifying. Yeah. And to me, I was like, that is a fucking great scene. I just can't ignore the fact that he had the worst fucking voiceover prior to the scene that, that was like, you know, and it's like, what is he thinking? And, and like I said, he loves everything he does is heightened. But for some odd reason, the 70s and 80s, it was awesome. You know, we've talked about this before. I think we talked about when we were watching Phantom of the Paradise. A lot of people make comparisons between De Palma and Dario Argento. Yeah. And I actually think that's a really fair comparison because in the 70s and 80s, they were able to get away with something that when they tried it again in the 90s and so forth, it just never worked, you know? 
Um, like I'm Argento, I think what was the last great movie he did? I think it, it might have been Trauma, and even that's pushing it. Yeah. Um, but don't, don't let me answer that. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I honestly, to be, to be fair, I think the, his last masterpiece was Opera. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know when you watch Trauma, or when you watch Mother of Tears, which was his second in his Three Sisters trilogy, you know, with Suspiria Inferno. He's doing a lot of the same stuff he's trying. He was doing in Suspiria and and Inferno, maybe a little bit ramped up because he's trying to keep up with you know modern times, but it just doesn't work. Where it does work when he does it before, you know, and like yeah. same thing with De Palma. Like it, like I said, if Raising Kane came out in eighty three, eighty four, or seventy seven, it would have been. I, I'd be like, oh my god, Raising Kane's a masterpiece. So I think there would have been. It would have been a little bit more. It it didn't. His style does not match well with that the time. the. Con- that yeah. time period i love here's this yeah i love mission impossible i, was I love say. mission impossible is wonderful i think i in fact i am i'm one of those people that's not a fan of the mission impossible franchise because i'm like how far it strayed from what the first one was which was the closest to the tv show mm-hmm. i think we ever had um aside from the finale with the ridiculous you know train sequence which i fucking love you know um and if you watch Mission Impossible, a lot of those flashback sequences are done like Jalo films. It's great. Um, but I also, I'm also a huge fan of Snake Eyes because if you're going to go to that length of being, <laughs> you're gonna, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna be as heightened and ridiculous as possible, there's only one person who can take you there. Yeah, and that's Nick Cage. It, of course, yeah. I love Snake Eyes, and it took me a long time to watch it, and I actually watched it within the past five years and really? i fucking was I, like i haven't seen oh. it in a long time i remember going to the movie theater when it came out i think it i i think it really i i really enjoy it a lot i actually think it's a really underrated piece i get why people were, were so like whatever about it because again if you played it completely seriously it'd be a complete you know you'd have a this really like tight taut thriller based out you know out of like you know the idea of like the way perception works and how people see things instead you get this fucking movie where nicholas cage plays a dirty atlantic city cop and it's fucking and he's just off the rails and he's great and i actually think nicholas cage is wonderful in snake eyes um but again i wouldn't if someone's like name one of de palma's best films snake eyes is not going to top the list at all i just i really like it um but Raising Kane is just so fucking absurd. But I think it's, I also think it's him saying, hey, I'm going to take everything I did in the 70s and 80s and mash them together. And it doesn't work for me as much as Sisters. I mean, Sisters is fucking freaky. But also, and I think that movie deals also, with the Didn't we do it? Did we do Sisters or did I just no, talk we, about it? We just talked, we just about, talked about it. About, yeah. Okay. Who knows what episode that's on at this point. But I remember Man, we did I, talk about it. I think during the pandemic, I watched it. Which was a couple of years ago now, but it feels like a time warp because it doesn't feel that long ago. But it's and that's that opening scene where we're like, you know, he comes in, she's lying in bed, and he's like walking over to her. He's got the cake in his hand and everything like that, and she like grabs the knife. You just see the hand grab the knife. It's like this is what suspense should be, where it's like we, the audience, we see, oh my god, she's grabbed the knife any minute now. She's gonna use it. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Oh shit, it just happened. That's fucking brilliant. And um. But yeah, I, I I think my note was De Palma is capable of freaking people out, a la sisters. But there's a shift in his career where he gives zero fucks and just ramps everything up, and it ceases being scary and instead becomes absurd. That was my note for what for raising Kane. He just I just think he just gives zero fucks. He's just like, I'm Brian De Palma. You're either on board or you're not. But then yeah. here's things. Then he but then he does Carlito's way, which is not which is a pretty straightforward and pretty awesome crime thriller. You know that's what I'm saying. So he's capable of, he knows when, so I, that's why I think it was, I think with the reason why I don't write off Raising Kane, and I actually do enjoy it a little bit, is because it's somebody having fun with a lot of money. And I'm okay with that. Um, I mean, do you think so? I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's must have been cocaine or something. I don't know. I just assume everyone at every time in Hollywood, especially, was on a lot of coke and then just made ridiculous shit constantly. Um, and this is what I feel like that movie is, but I could be wrong. I think, you know, but here's the thing, too, is that there's there is a moment in Raising Cain that I think is like a genuinely great, not absurd, like a really great moment. You might disagree, but it's the scene where um, he is being hypnotized by the by Francis. Uh, was her, she was in misery. And, oh, you know. yeah, I do think that this this it's not all bad. It's a lot of ridiculousness, but it's fun. I didn't I kind of I kind of loved hating on it. 
Oh, I loved it. I I thought John Lithgow was great in it. Um, because you know, there's because like, there's a part where he has a personality that's a little boy, and I don't know, maybe it's because I like really love John Lithgow, but fuck, I... man, he I I was like, it's good. And then when he switches personalities. Oh, stop. It's no. so, it's so silly. I love John Lithgow, but my favorite my favorite little piece of trivia was like there's fan theories of um jo- this is like one of John Lithgow's personalities from Dexter or not from Dexter from this movie and that one of the personalities from this movie is actually the serial killer that was in Dexter because John Lithgow um yeah. for a season plays one of the serial killers that um goes against um Dexter or or vibes against Dexter in their little serial killer world. Well, you know it's funny cuz he plays a, you know, he plays another character in the movie who's got a very thick European accent, yeah. and unfortunately, every time he's on camera as that character, so all I can bad. think about is John Lithgow is the villain in the film Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, which is a great, <laughs> a wonderful, it is such a fantastic film. I recommend everybody fucking watch that movie. It is fucking all off the wall. It's great. He plays the villain. Dr. Emilio Lazardo, and he's using the same fucking voice. And they're not even like, one's supposed to be Italian, one's supposed to be, I think, German or Austrian, and they're the same fucking they're the same fucking voice. And it cracked me up every time he would talk as that character. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm watching that movie again. Um, I I don't know. I I give De Palma a little leeway as I've gotten older because I really just love his kind of like crazy. I love them nine out of ten times if I'm gonna watch a De Palma film, it's gonna be completely insane. Yeah, and- that's true. You know, it's gonna be. At worth watching at least in some weird way yeah i mean like look it's not like i said raising kane's not one of his uh definitely not one of his better movies i i i've listed a few that i think people should check out blowout i think is a fucking masterpiece it's not just my favorite kill. diploma but just, just to kill. kill is my favorite diploma yeah i mean just i mean yeah for sure um but i just i feel like he's he was i don't know the nineties were not, not a good time for De Palma. I really don't think, cause I don't feel like he was able to, uh, get away with it as much as he was able to get away with before. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I kind of hope, like, I'm always hopeful that like whatever shit people are working on that, like it will blow us out of the water again. And we'll be like, yes, this is what we've been just needing for forever. But, um, yeah. Cause I don't think he's done anything in a while. Right. Not really. He did like a, a, a unfortunately like a few direct to, uh, Oh. direct of vod or whatever movies you know, he did one with um jamie lannister that i didn't say oh but really he, he also writes it off and saying like look i couldn't do like the the production was fucked up i couldn't get away with i couldn't do with some of the stuff i wanted to do and blah blah, blah. i didn't see femme fatale i i I, no. I really just had no desire i've known people who fucking love that movie and like um it's kind of become this weird cult classic i still never saw the black dahlia I wouldn't. Um, it's so bad. I I kind of want to rewatch it just to see if I hate it as much as I as I did then. But like I've also done that with other movies that I I violently hate, like Mother, and I still hate them. So I think I might still hate it. Yeah, the majority of the Palma films I haven't seen, I haven't seen for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, cause I'm just not interested. But the ones that I really want to see, I've seen. You know, and and um, I definitely, like I said, Body Double is a wonderful film, especially if you live in LA. Um, Phantom of the Paradise, which we did the entire we did an entire episode on. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you know, like you said, Carlito's Way. I look even Scarface. Well, Scarface is pretty it, fucking no, ridiculous. Scarface is great. It's just it became that movie. It, became it did, but it's also movie. it's also a ridiculous movie. You know, oh, it's, it's ridiculous. totally ridiculous. Exactly, it's like, but but it's like fun ridiculous to where it reached that cult status because of how ridiculous. Right, and I think that he's kind of, he's trying to go with fun ridiculous for raising Kane, but I just don't think it's 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 missing the mark you know yeah he's it's throwing the, yeah but i am i would rewatch it that cut the fam cut and i guess it's it is out on dvd it, it it's, yeah they're calling it the director's cut which you know for the fan director's cut but it's it's, it's to give yeah. him credit but scream um, factory did a release of it yeah yeah um, like a few years back i think mm-hmm. 2017 or something like that and uh mm-hmm. or i don't know what year i made that up but that's um, good this, this is a good time <laughs> yeah it seemed like five years ago close, close enough right. Um, I would watch that. I'm really curious to see if it makes the film any better comprehensible. According to De Palma himself, he chose it to be the director's cut because that's what he originally felt the vision was and then changed it last minute. Um, so I am interested to see that to see if it's any, it's any, it's any better. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 
Uh, Casualties of War is another great one where he's completely serious. Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox, Vietnam. It's pretty good. I mean, yeah, like uh, De Palma is a weird guy. He, he you can never pin him down. But then again, like I said, so is Argento. And I feel like those, they are really very similar. Um, very interesting. I mean, I've never really thought of them as one and the same. But now that you mention it, you know, it is. And then watch Mission Impossible. Yeah, I'm. I really want to rewatch The Untouchables because it's like you said, it was one of my kid favorites. Like my dad used to watch it all the time, and I was like, "This movie's sure. fucking sick." And I always thought of Kevin Costner as a tough guy until I started seeing him in other things, and I was like, "Oh, I always thought Kevin Costner was like this type of guy because of Untouchables." Right. I'm just saying that Untouchables has like De Niro's performance is like watching Raising Cane. It's like so over the top. Um, there's a there's the scene where. Um, Kevin Costner confronts um, Billy Drago on the top of the roof. You know, Billy Drago is the guy who killed, you know, he's Al Capone's right-hand man, mm-hmm. kills Sean Connery, chucks him, you know, they have this whole scene that's ridiculous and he chucks him off the roof. That whole fucking moment, it's, the whole movie just gets so, and more and more and more ridiculous as it goes by. And the uh, the Morricone score is not his best. It's so... How dare you? Um. I... I Please, there's. It's, 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 I, 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 let me put it this way: there's more Coney scores that I would listen to, like I'd have on the background just for mm-hmm. like while I'm doing stuff. That's not one of them by any means. It's, it's so hammy and yeah. ridiculous. Um, so yes, I do like the Untouchables now, but you, but it's, it's as absurd as it, you know. It's pretty ridiculous. It's a little bit might might be a little bit more toned down because of Connery, you know, and he's able to like kind of like. I don't think I think I imagine some professionalism. I, to I imagine the bomb was like so. Sean in this scene, Sean's like Sean Connery's like I'm doing it my way. He's like all right, you yeah. know. But he won the Oscar for it, so who you know who knows? But um, yeah, it's fucking absurd. It's ridiculous. It's Have fun. Movie. Yeah, watch it because it's always it's always worth some absurd fun, um, especially with John Lithgow. Yeah, it's on something I for sure. Um, but yeah, Raising Cane. Yeah, that's our episode. You know, the Palma guys. That's- fun times check us out on instagram <laughs> and uh yeah let us know even what you though think. we don't update it yeah check us out on oh. instagram even though we're like six movies behind on updating well, hey look sorry. hey look if you go on there and it might inspire one of us to like start updating you know we're lazy yeah i'm lazy <laughs> yeah leave us messages <laughs> yeah all right bye